1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 17. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are his field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you already for what we've received from you in your word. I thank you for the joy it is to sing praises to you, uh, to recognize what is true and to hear it sung beautifully. Lord, our hearts uh, swell as we sing those words uh, at all that you've done for us. Uh, We cannot say thank you enough for your sacrifice on the cross and that you stand now, Lord, uh, interceding on our behalf. Thank you. God, I pray that as we continue to dive in your word, I pray you would continue to reveal truth to us. Lord, help us uh, not to base um, our actions in the church upon human assumptions. God, help us to always be coming back to your word. And Lord, asking, is this how you would have us to live, how you would have us to function? So Lord, please give greater clarity from your word now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, legend has it uh, of a church uh, in the Pennsylvania area uh, that received a visitor one Sunday. And uh, this visitor came in, it was a pretty standard worship service. This guy was familiar with church, so the liturgy seemed pretty uh, normal to him. All until about halfway through uh, the service, before the message, the whole church got up, the whole church turned around and faced the back wall, and started reciting the Apostles' Creed. And this guy thought, what's going on? Why is the church doing this? And no one said anything. It was normal for the church. They turned back around, sat down, and listened to the message. So after the service, this guy's curiosity was piqued. And he began asking people, hey, how come in the middle of the service we got up, turned around backwards, and recited the Apostles' Creed? 
and he could not find anyone in the church that understood why they did that. They said, well, we've always done that. And now this guy was uh, a very curious sort and couldn't give up on his quest. So he did a little bit more digging in the coming week. And he found out that uh, a few decades prior, um, there had been a real move of God in that community. And this was a coal mining area. And as a number of people had come into the community to work in the industry, some of these people had begun coming to the church. And they had no familiarity with Jesus Christ. And they had come to know Christ in this church, but they didn't know any of the liturgy. So they had hung on the back wall a banner with the Apostles' Creed on it. So these people could learn the Apostles' Creed. So every Sunday they would turn around. Over time, they had it all memorized. Someone was cleaning. The banner came down, was not replaced, and time just went on. Now, I think that can be a little bit of a metaphor for how things can happen in the church. We get used to doing things a certain way, and over time, we forget why we're doing what we're doing. And I think especially when it comes to leadership in the church, a lot of times, assumptions govern how we operate more than clear understanding from the Word of God. So what I want to do this morning is follow Paul's example. Um, He is reminding the Corinthian church on what the church is all about and how leadership functions in the church. Part of the reason they're divided is they have different assumptions about what leaders are supposed to be. And they're not really operating on a biblical motif for what leadership should be in the local church. And so we should remind ourselves that biblical truth, um, because we are sinful human beings, often kind of leaks out of us, and we need to be reminded of what is true time and time again. And so Paul has a reminder for us this morning about um, God's perspective on leadership in his church. So that's our, goal, our task for, for this talk, understanding God's perspective on leadership in his church. Now, after his, his opening paragraph, where he went back to the uh, argument he made in the uh, first chapter, when he was saying there are different groups in this church divided over their personal pre- preferences for different leaders, he then moves on to start talking about what those leaders actually are in God's economy. So I want to pick it up again in uh, verse 5, when Paul says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. And here's our first principle for this, this message. That leaders in God's church are servants used by God to accomplish His purposes. Leaders in God's church are servants used by God to accomplish His purposes. Now, I have two applications for that principle, all right? Uh, the, The first application for seeing Christian leaders as servants is that we should not make too much of human leaders. We should have proper expectations of what human leaders are to be in the church. Um, Thinking about this proper expectation, I'm reminded of a conversation I had around the dinner table with my parents and siblings and their kids. Uh, My parents, on their 40th wedding anniversary, had us all over to their house, and uh, my brother-in-law thought this was a great opportunity to glean some wisdom from my dad. My dad's a gracious man. Um, My mom and dad have a great marriage, and so he asked Uh, mom and dad, any words of advice for us? Any secrets on how to have a 
successful marriage 40 years in. And my dad leaned back and said, low expectations. <laughs> and we thought, I mean, my dad's a gracious man. And we kind of chuckled nervously, looked at one another like, oh my word, dad's blowing this. Like, what's he, this is not like dad at all. And we look over at my mom nervously thinking she's going to be getting mad because he's making light of this. And she's not. She's nodding along. We're like, okay, what's going on here? And they further explained that dad was not trying to say, have low expectations of your wife. Dad was saying, um, you have low expectations that the other person is not your savior. He said, I don't expect her to fulfill, to be, to be my all in all. I understand that I come to this marriage with my own problems. She has her own problems. I expect that I married a sinner. And I find too many people in marriage don't have that perspective, that I married a sinner. I'm going to have a realistic perspective and not expect this person to do the Jerry Maguire, you complete me. I expect to come in and have Christ be the one who completes our marriage. Now, in a similar way, I think people can have an unrealistic expectation of their pastor. I find people hop around from churches to churches looking for a pastor that can complete their spiritual life, where really, pastors are sinners like the rest of us. And we need to have realistic expectations for leaders in Christ's church. Now, two ways we should have realistic expectations of Christian leaders. One, Christian leaders, even at their best, are incomplete. No Christian leader has all spiritual gifts, right? God gives spiritual gifts to every member of His church, but He gives some to every person, not all to anyone. And so even the best pastor or Christian leader is going to be lacking in some areas, which is why we need a body, which is why we need a plurality of leadership. Of leadership. We need a church where all of the gifts are being deployed. We should not expect a Christian leader and a pastor in particular to be the one figure that makes or breaks a church. Pastors are incomplete. Secondly, pastors are sinners. Now, I'm not saying not to expect Christian character. There are clear lists in the New Testament of Christian leaders. We should expect Christian leaders to have walked with Christ for a while in a way that they've become more like Jesus, but they're not yet perfected, glorified. And so we should expect a Christian leader to still be on a growth curve like all of us. Uh, I love what Eugene Peterson says. He says, every congregation is a congregation of sinners. As if that weren't bad enough, they all have sinners for pastors. And that's true. That's true. So we should expect to have a community where we are confessing sin, we are repenting of sin, and we are trusting Christ's sacrifice for all of us, Christian leaders included. So don't make too much of human leaders. When you put a, a, a Christian leader up on a pedestal, you will always be disappointed at some point. That's the first application of this principle that leaders in God's church are servants. And the Corinthian church needed to hear this because the culture in Corinth was one that highly prized performance. Remember I said in the first talk that uh, the Greek worldview was one that valued culture. And Corinth was quite a cultured city. They had an outdoor amphitheater that sat thousands. They had an indoor concert hall. Uh, I mean, all the time they had the latest performers coming through. And some of that mindset had crept into the church. 
where they were looking for leaders to be performers. And they put all of their, their weight, their stock, and leaders that could please them and entertain them. And Paul said, that's not what Christian leaders are. So don't expect Christian leaders to be like that. They're servants. The second way we should apply this principle um, is to not expect too little of Christian leaders. So don't expect too much. They're servants that God works through. But don't expect too little. God works through them and in unique ways. See, some people's problem is not that they expect too much of Christian leaders, their pastor in particular. It's that they expect too little. (laughs) Um, They may view the pastor or church leaders uh, merely as the people kind of to carry out the duties of the church. Um, In our Western culture, we often call the pastoral duties the hatch, match, and dispatch. You know, birth, marriage, and death. And pastoral ministry is way more than that. Way more than that. Uh, Verse 5 says, These servants were people through whom you believed. I mean, think about that statement. That's a striking statement. God could choose any means He wants to bring us to faith in Himself. He does not need us as human people, but He has chosen to work through us. And He says, I have a specific task for these Christian leaders, or Paulus, Paul. I chose to work through them so you would come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, God works through every member of his body. So every member is equal in God's family. But every member has different assignments, different tasks. And for Christian leaders, there's a different task that's been given. And he's telling the church, you need to have the right right perspective, not too high, but also not too low. God's using these Christian leaders to bring you to faith in in himself now, many in the Corinthian church did have a low view of Paul as a leader. It's one of the things that Paul has to address. For some reason, some of them have really begun to discount him. And they just viewed him as one of the preachers, and he wasn't all that entertaining to them. Apollos was better. And so they had begun to look down lowly upon him. And we're being reminded here not to do that. I find this to be a helpful phrase for any church that's uh, beginning the process of considering calling a pastor in the future. And I give this instruction to every church I talk with. And that is, let your next pastor be your pastor, not just pastor of the church you attend. Do you see the difference there? Let the next pastor be your pastor, not just pastor of the church you attend. See, there's a big difference. Um, Forgive me if I'm overusing sports metaphors, but I'm going back to the Patriots, okay? Um, I am, and my family are pretty rabid Patriot fans. And I regularly talk to some of my other colleagues around the country who are decidedly are not. And they always ask me, how can you root for a team that has Bill Belichick as the head coach? To which I say, how can you not? Yeah. And they just don't get that it's kind of endearing to New Englanders. Um, While I appreciate Coach Belichick, if the team started losing a couple years in a row, you know, I'd say fire him. Let's get get a new coach. Because I'm a fan of the team. I'm not a follower of Bill Belichick. And I think many people have a similar attitude when it comes to Christian leadership. As long as the church is, you know, doing well, it seems, and we're happy with it, I'm a fan of the church and its leadership. But I'm not a follower. 
But the words in the New Testament are striking. Paul says to the church, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That there is a, a personal level of modeling, of mentoring, that pastors aren't just CEOs, they are models and mentors. And so Paul is reminding them of this truth. And I think that we, as you know, good uh, independent Westerners, need to be reminded that God has given us Christian leaders, not just to run the organization, but for us to learn from them a way of life in Christ. And so as you are looking for a person to come and be a pastor in this church, you want a person whose way of life is worthy of emulation. Because it is from people that we learn what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. Not just a message, but a life. And so you want someone who can, with some level of authenticity, say, follow me as I follow Jesus. So, leaders in God's church are servants used by God to accomplish His purposes. Don't expect too much. Don't expect too little. That's some of God's purposes for leaders, but we also need to know God's purpose and plan for the church in which He uses leaders. And all too often, we allow cultural assumptions to form our view of the church and not the biblical perspective. And Paul gives us two metaphors to understand the biblical perspective here. Um, you'll see here um, in, uh, in verse 9, he says, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Now notice what he says there. First of all, you are God's field, God's building. Not Paul's field, not Apollos' field or building. God, so we, we belong to God. The church belongs to God. We must never forget that. We were bought with the blood of Christ, not the blood of any human leader. So we all belong to Jesus. The church is people who belong to Christ because of the price He paid. But then secondly, He uses these two metaphors, the metaphor of a field and the metaphor of a building. Now, that kind of speaks to, I would say, the dynamic nature of a church. A field is growing. And there are seasons in the life of a field, right? There's, there's planting, there's harvest, times of being fallow. Uh, we in the church have seasons of growth, seasons of difficulty. Um, there's a dynamic nature to the life of the church. A building, um, it's, you know, a foundation is laid, the structure goes up, the inside is, is made nice, people are welcomed in. In, in a similar way, the church is to be this welcoming home, a relational home that people are brought into. And this building is always expanding because God's church is growing. And so we're being reminded here that the church is this dynamic organism that is growing. As more people come to faith, we are growing up in Christ, we are growing out in number, and we belong to God. So this is the nature of the church that God is using human leaders um, to help lead in. And one of the questions is, well, why does God use different leaders? I mean, in Corinth, there had already been a number of Christian leaders that had come through. In your local church, you've had a number of pastors over your history that God has used in your local church. There have been different elders, different teachers. God uses different leaders in the life of the church. Why is that so important? Well, the reason he does it, and it makes it, makes it clear from this text, is he uses different leaders so the church can grow. Now, God provides the growth, he says, but the reason different leaders are used is so that the church can grow. God wants his church 
to be growing, which begs the question, what is proper Christian growth? What does it mean for the church to be growing? Now, all too often, we can allow cultural definitions to determine the success of a church, as long as we are growing in number or financial health, uh, larger buildings, we consider that a raving success. Matter of fact, if you go to a lot of Christian publications, they'll list the fastest growing churches in America. It's always the number of attenders, you know, conversions, size of budgets. Those are the metrics we use. And they aren't necessarily wrong or bad, but you could have a church growing in number, but shrinking in spiritual health. So what does it mean when God wants his church to grow? Well, it certainly means Christian growth is about Christian character, maturity. We're told that Jesus wants his church to produce fruit that will last. Fruit that will last. So it's not just quick increase of numbers. That could be a great thing. But the question is, is there fruit that will last that is growing in this church? The character of Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit, more disciples of Jesus. I like to say it this way. What we want to see is more and better disciples of Jesus. That's what the church is to be about. More and better disciples of Jesus. And God uses human leaders to help lead a church in growing more and better disciples of Christ. Now, part of what you are all doing right now in this season of pastoral transition is kind of identifying uh, the season that you're in and considering where God is leading you in the future. But you're not questioning what your purpose is. The purpose is that God is going to use you as a local church to make more and better disciples. That's his, his call for every local church. And he wants to use uh, human leaders to help lead ch- the church in that purpose. Which brings us towards the uh, last part of this text here. And this part is kind of interesting. The first part I quickly get, I resonate with. The last part seems harsh and stark. And at first read, I kind of wondered, why is this here? So I'm going to read it again for you, verses 12 to 17. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys the temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Do you remember this past spring um, when the church in France, the historic church, Notre Dame, burned? The graphic images of this beautiful cathedral going up in flames, and people around the world were saddened and horrified at the burning of this church. And that was the first image that came to mind as I read this passage. Because we read here that there is this future day of revealing, of testing, tested by fire. And only what is of uh, permanence will last. 
And we wonder, well, why at this point is Paul kind of bringing this harsh imagery about testing and judgment as he talks about leaders in the local church? Well, I think he's reminding us of a couple things. Firstly, that God's metrics of success are not human metrics. What the world reveres, God could care less about. So there are many things that look so successful and good right now that someday will burn quick. Human leaders can build fast and big if they build cheap. But God calls us for fruit that will last. I mean, look at Jesus' ministry. He pours himself into 12 men. Now, he ministers to the multitudes, but the bulk of his time is spent with these 12 men who at the end of his ministry, you wonder, is this thing going to make it? You know, are they really, are these guys, guys all in with Jesus? But they are. And as the Holy Spirit empowers them, we see the church explode. Now, Christ had poured himself in depth into these people, and he um, built a foundation that the church then was built upon. And in a similar way as churches, we're to be about building ourselves deeply into other people. And so it's about quality, not just quantity. And there is an explosion that happens as God works through people. There's a multiplication of disciples that comes about. But we need to primarily be concerned about the depth of Christ's character being formed in His church. Now, that is not always what is revered, even in the Christian world. But we need to remind ourselves, what we need to be about as a church is seeing fruit that will last coming from our church. That one day, uh, how we build will be revealed, even if it's not revealed yet. But the second thing that I think God wants us to be reminded of, and the second thing that Paul is reminding the church in Corinth of, is that God is the judge and the protector of his church. And this is meant to be a comforting thing, that God is the judge and the protector of his church. You know, we tend to set ourselves up as the judges of church leaders, and ourselves up as the protectors of his church. You know, if, if, if things don't go well in this transition, what will happen with the church? I've felt those kind of fears. Uh, when I was um, prepare, considering taking on this role as district superintendent, my biggest reason for saying no at first was I was worried what would happen with the church I was pastoring if I was to leave. That was my biggest fear. Will this church be okay if I'm not there? And once God helped me to see that I didn't really trust him as the leader of the church, then I was free to accept this call to become the district superintendent. But I think we all can struggle with truly trusting Jesus as the head of his church, the one who protects his church, the one who keeps his church. Not one of us died for his church. Jesus is the church's protector. And Paul wants the Corinthians to see that him, Apollos, Peter, none of those human leaders, as good as they are, are the judge of the church, the protector of the church, the savior of the church. He wants their confidence to be in Christ and Christ alone. We need to understand that Jesus cares way more about his church than we ever will. He shed his blood for his church. So what I'm confident of is that he will provide the right leader in the next season for Westgate Church because Jesus loves his church and wants to guide his church. 
Now, you're going to need to exercise wisdom in the process, but ultimately, you can't be positive that you're making the right choice. But God will take care of His church. That's the promise. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So it's, it's really important to know this, that human leaders cannot thwart God's purposes for His church. Leaders outside the church can't thwart God's purposes. We look at church history. Nero couldn't stop the church. The secular movement of today will not stop the church. Human leaders cannot thwart God's purposes. And even leaders inside the church can't thwart God's purposes. One of the reasons I am so convinced that the scriptures are true is I look at church history and I see how often there were bad leaders in the church and bad churches and the thing didn't collapse. That, that God's gospel continues to go out, that Christ keeps his church. Now, I'm not saying that it doesn't matter who your next pastor is. Okay, don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying that. But I am saying it matters less than you think. It matters a whole lot who your Savior is. Jesus is the judge. He is the protector. And He is the Savior. So Westgate Church, be reminded and be encouraged that you are God's temple, God's dwelling place. You belong to Him because you were bought with the blood of Christ. He cares for you more than you can ever comprehend, you individually and you collectively. He now indwells His temple by His Holy Spirit. So you're not left to make this decision all by yourself in human wisdom. God gives wisdom through His Spirit, and we'll talk about that next uh, tomorrow. And this Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, is here in you to give you wisdom, direction, and power. God will provide a next pastor for this church, but He Himself is the great shepherd of the sheep. Look to Him and trust in Him. I invite you to stand again with me in prayer, and then a couple songs. Lord, how thankful we are that we can call out to you uh, as our good and great shepherd, uh, the shepherd who has laid down his life for the sheep. God, I pray that we will not lose sight of how big your heart is for your church, nor how strong your arm is. That, God, there is no enemy that can thwart your purposes. So, God, I pray that uh, Westgate's, church, uh, Westgate's confidence would be in you alone. God, I do pray for the season up ahead that you continue to lead them and guide them and give them wisdom. But we know, God, that you've already promised never to leave and never to forsake. So I, just, I pray that the trust and confidence will grow. Lord, I pray that you continue to shape us both individually and corporately as your followers to better reflect who you are to the world around us. And so we thank you for how you've spoken to us through your word today. Please continue to shape us through the remainder of this day. In Jesus' name, amen.